following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So today we're going to do a couple of things together. We're starting a new series for Lent, uh, but Lent, as you church nerds know, doesn't actually start until Wednesday. So today we're doing a little bit of preparation for the season. So the first thing we're doing is Lenten preparations. Uh, and there's a few ways that I think that we would, I'd like to see us observe Lent together, and I'll talk about those in a few minutes. Um, but one of the ways is that we're going to be back in the Gospel of John, which we've been dropping in and out of now for a couple of years. Uh, you hikers might know the term section hiking, right, where you do a little piece of a trail every, every time you get in, can get a chance rather than going all the way through it. We're section hiking through John, uh, and um, we've been doing it for a while. We have a long way to go, but it's really joyful to be in John when we are. Um, so the first half of the sermon is going to be talking about Lenten preparations, and the second half is a, uh, what will be a brief sermon on John eight twelve through 20, um, which is where we're picking up from last time we talked about John, and that's called a valid testimony, and, and I'll explain what that means in a little bit. But before we get into either of those things, I want to remind you of something that's really amazing and wonderful, which is that Artisan recently celebrated our 10th anniversary. Um, yes, give that an artisan woo. That is entirely appropriate. <laughs> God has been faithful to us uh, and with us and through us for a whole decade now. And uh, that is cause for celebration and a little bit of amazement, actually. <laughs> um, so we're kicking off what will be really a, a year of celebration, reflection, dreaming about the future and what our next decade will be. But we're kicking it off at the end of this month with a, a party weekend. And that's going to happen in two parts, as you can see on the screen behind me. Uh, on Saturday, we have a gala for the grown-ups, um, which will include dinner and dancing and uh, BYOB for responsible consumption and uh, that sort of thing. That's Saturday night. And then Sunday, after worship, we're going to have a, more of an all-church gathering, which will be very kid-friendly and family-friendly and um, single-person friendly and everybody-friendly. Uh, cake and punch and some, just enough snacks to get us uh, and our kids over the hump to lunch and to wire us all up a little bit. So that'll be lots of fun. And the other thing that we've got going starting today is, um, don't worry now, <laughs> it's not that kind of church. <clears throat> we have some really awesome commemorative t-shirts. <laughs> Keep your dollars to yourself, friend. Uh, we also have some awesome hoodies. Somebody's wearing a hoodie around here somewhere, aren't they, right? Yeah, you want to stand up, Anna, and show me the hoodie? Woo, yay! Um, so these are responsibly sourced garments, sweatshop-free, um, designed by our own Brian D'Angelo, printed locally by a great indie printing company called Tiny Fish Printing. They're awesome. They look great. They're super-duper comfortable, and uh, we're going to be selling them today and uh, next week and until they're gone. Um, they are tied in with the tickets to the gala. The gala is a $20 ticket, but if you buy a shirt either type, you will get $5 off your gala ticket. Um, the t-shirts are $19, and the sweatshirts are $39, and uh, that's more than it costs us to have them printed. It's offsetting the cost of the celebration weekend a little bit, and also anything that we have above and beyond will um, be donated to Rise Up Rochester, which is a fantastic local uh, charity 
um, working for nonviolence and uh, the decrease of violence and the support of victims of violence in our city. But the most important thing that I want you to notice about these shirts, and before I finish buttoning up here, I'll show you, is the words that are along the bottom here. Um, these are our five values, and you can see them on the same design on the screen. Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. Um, that's why we printed the shirts. And by the way, uh, we also have a mission statement. I wonder if anybody could, uh, without cheating, by looking at any documents that you may be holding in your hand or websites that are on, on your phone, is there anybody here who could recite our, our mission statement, which is different from the values? Just raise your hand if you can do it, and we'll, we'll quiz you real quick. <clears throat> No, no, don't say it out loud, I, 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 because there's a prize involved. What? There's a prize involved. If you can recite our mission statement, I, I think it's important that we know why in the hell we're here, okay? <laughs> Is that all right to say in church? Sorry. Jenny, yes. That is exactly what it is. Yay! Come on up. Yeah, yeah, it's for you. Encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus. That and our five values, um, if this is the wrong size, just change it with Anna after the service. Um, <laughs> what did somebody say? I missed that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shane's proud of her. Um, it's that statement and these values. That's really what we are celebrating 10 years of doing, right? Um, when we think about the past 10 years... The really wonderful thing, and again, sort of amazing, is that we've been able to live out these five beautiful values that God gave us and live into the beautiful, profound mission statement that he called us to. Now, everything that we do that matters, every success we've had has been some version of living out those values in that mission statement. And every failure that we've encountered, and God knows we have had some failures, has in one way or another, in my opinion, been a failure of living into the mission and the values, the calling and the vision that God gave us when we started this church. So yes, the shirts are trendy and attractive. You are more likely to get a date if you're wearing one, um, or to have to turn one down if it's not what you're into. Um, and yes, the gala will be a, a really great party, and we will absolutely shed tears of nostalgia when we see the slideshow at the uh, Sunday afternoon presentation. By the way, if you have photos from Artisan's History that you want for that slideshow, give them to Ken. Ken's right here. Uh, Ken, ktryon at mac.com. What? Tryon K at mac.com. He's an old school Mac nerd. He has a mac.com email address. Um, all of those things are true, but it's our mission and our values that we really want to be celebrating um, this year. Okay? So we're, we're having a lot of fun with it, but I don't want us to lose sight of the, the calling that God's given us, which is really the most important thing. Okay. So on to Lent, and then on to John, chapter 8. Now, our usual practice for Lent over the years has been to use the lectionary to determine the scripture passages that we'll engage with in the sermons and sometimes in, on our own, in our own devotional practices. And we have always, almost always, that is, focused on some spiritual discipline or, or set of spiritual disciplines that we want to try to practice together. Uh, and this year we're going to do something slightly different. There will be sermons and there will be spiritual discipline. Um, but not in the usual way. Uh, the sermons will be different in that, as I said earlier, instead of using the seasonal lectionary texts, 
we're going to be using the Gospel of John straight through until Palm Sunday when uh, we will actually return to the seasonal texts. And the spiritual discipline um, component of Lent for us this year, what I want to lead us into is something much simpler than what we've done in the past. Um, So you're, of course, encouraged to do whatever you'd like to do on your own if you have a particular type of fasting you want to engage in or if you want to read Celebration of Discipline, that great classic book about Christian practice and try to do a new one every week like we've done in the past. You are welcome to do that on your own. But what I want us to do as a community in the uh, so-called official uh, discipline during Lent is, is much simpler. And I, and I want it to be based on our thematic thread for the year. Now, um, here's another uh, little pop quiz, right? Um, don't say it out loud, but if you know what our thematic thread is for this 2014-15 year, would you raise your hand? And the first hand I see is Dell's. Uh, Dell, what is our thematic thread this year? Shaped by the words of Scripture. Absolutely. So I have a prize for you, Dell. Come right up. I'm going to give you this lovely little blue moleskin Kahir journal and a fancy ultra-fine point gel pen to use in it, right? All right. Nice job, Del. Yeah, prizes today. See? Don't skip church when the weather sucks. You miss out on the prizes. Why did I give Del that particular gift? Well, um, it's a symbol of the spiritual discipline that I would like us all to engage in this year, and I want to try, which is a wonderful, simple little discipline that's a great way for us to be shaped by the words of Scripture. And it's, the, it's called scribing. The practice of scribing, um, sort of shorthand for transcribing, and it's nothing more or less than copying the words of the Bible in your own handwriting. All right, this is something that a colleague of mine, a, a church planter in Blacksburg, Virginia, showed me, and I've been doing it for about six months now, and I love it. This is my scribing journal here. It's the same exact one I just gave to Dell, written with the same exact pen I just gave to Dell, and uh, I'm several chapters into the Gospel of John myself. Um, So what I'd like to ask us to do, and you don't need a fancy moleskin journal to do it, is uh, to scribe every day during Lent using the text that we're going to be encountering. Now, this is always on the website. We're in John 8, 12 through 20 today and 21 through 30 next week, and you'll see if you go to the website where we're at all the time. Um, And I would love for each person in the artisan community to get a notebook or even just a few sheets of loose paper, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. One verse per day. I want you to consider one verse a success. Anything you do on top of that is like extra credit. Like that's, consider that a bonus. But if you can make time to sit down in the morning or at night or at lunch or whenever you want to do it and transcribe one verse from the passage that we're going to be looking at on the upcoming Sunday, that is to be considered a success. How many people do not have time to transcribe one verse of Scripture per day? Okay, some of you may feel that you don't, and that's, uh, that's okay, and you're not, <laughs> Judah does not have time. You, uh, those GCCS teachers are cracking the whip. He's too busy, like, making dream catchers and <clears throat> inventing new ways to do multiplication. Uh, he just can't, no scribing for Judah. Everybody else, though, <laughs> 
I think we all have time, and I don't mean to make light of anybody's very busy schedule, but this is what I'm going to ask you to do. One verse a day, and if you do more, consider it a bonus. Again, you don't need a fancy journal. You don't need a super-duper dorky pen. Just grab some paper and write it down. I would encourage you to use paper and pen or pencil, though, uh, rather than tappy, tappy, tappy on a bright, glowing screen, right? Let's get a break from that. All right. So prescribing success is one verse per day. You might also consider um, uh, recruiting a scribing buddy so that you can uh, talk to each other every day and say, hey, did you do your verse yet? How much did you get done? That kind of thing. All right. One last point about Lent, and then we'll get into John 8 uh, very briefly. As many of you know, and which I said a few minutes ago, Lent actually begins on Wednesday, and it's Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a day when Christians traditionally remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Um, This is uh, something that our higher church, more liturgical brothers and sisters probably engage in more than our uh, evangelical, middle-of-the-road American Protestant brothers and sisters do. Uh, But I want to... I want to encourage you as a community to join with one of the other churches, which is now kind of a neighbor church. They didn't used to be, but now they are, uh, Community of the Savior. They are meeting in the Old South Presbyterian building, which is at the corner of uh, South and East Henrietta Road, I think. Uh, the exact location is not hard to find. I'll, I'll push out a link to the directions on our website, um, in the e-news, on Facebook and Twitter and so forth, so you can catch up with that. But... Um, Pastor Doug Collum and uh, his colleagues over there, uh, Barb Bushart, and um, I don't remember the other woman's name right now. But they have welcomed us. They've, they've extended an invitation to us to join them for Ash Wednesday again this year. And uh, so that's at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. And I encourage you to attend. Um, they're really the best when it comes to uh, liturgical observance. Um, So I encourage you once again to grab a friend, an Ash Wednesday buddy, (laughs) and go together so you don't feel too alone and awkward in a new community, in a new setting. But I haven't even seen that building yet, so looking forward to checking that out as soon as I can. Um, I encourage you to go on Wednesday. All right? Okay, on to John. Uh, Our passage today is John 8, 12 through 20. Uh, which is page 870 in these red Bibles. If you want to open it and follow along, you are welcome to do that. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of the red ones with you when you go. Uh, Let me just read verse 12 to you and then pause for a second. Uh, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Uh, these are powerful, weighty words, and you may wonder uh, in a few minutes why I didn't talk about them again in the sermon at all, and I'm going to tell you why. The reason is um, we actually were last in John in August, and I'm pretty sure it was August 10th that um, this passage that you see on the screen, 8, 12 through 20, was assigned, and I started to prepare the sermon, and I could not get past verse 12. It was so deep and rich for me, and um, I uh, talked about how, so I gave a whole sermon on it, talking about how uh, the, this kind of evokes the prologue to John, the life the, that he had was the light of the world, which in turn evokes the creation stories where light uh, was separated from darkness in the act of creation. And so you could go way back if you wanted and grab that podcast if you're interested in this verse and that topic. 
Um, and then we never got to this because the week after that is uh, when the events happened in Ferguson and we stopped to, to talk about that for that week. And then we, we had to move on to our next series. So um, in a way, we're, we're recovering from what happened in August um, last year, now here in February. Don't you wish it was August right now? Yeah. Glad you're here, everybody. <clears throat> let's, mo- let's go on and I'll read verses 13 through 20. Then the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, one of the things that it's very helpful to do in understanding the Bible is to find the places where one part connects to another part. And there are often some textual cues uh, that you can look for to indicate that that's going on. And I wonder, there's no prize for this one, I'll just tell you that in advance. But I wonder if anybody can see in this text that I just read a clue about another part of the Bible that might have a connection. Does anybody see it? It's in verse 17. Very common phrase in Scripture, it is written. When everybody says, it is written, in this case, written in your own law, that's usually an indication that there's about to be a quotation or just a reference. In this case, it's the latter. And Jesus is saying, it's written in your own law that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. And what I think that he's referring to there is a a part of the Torah, which is the Jewish books of the law, the first five books of, the, of the, uh, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, are known as Torah. And in there, in the book of Deuteronomy, is laid out a process, here's what it's about, for rooting out idolatry in the community. <clears throat> in that time, idolatry was a capital offense. And so if someone was found to be worshiping other gods, bowing down to idols and the like, they were to be taken to the city gate and stoned to death. But under no circumstances was this to happen on the testimony of only one witness. Deuteronomy 17 says that Two or three witnesses are required. And then it says this really poignant thing. The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death. Does that evoke anything 
for you. Maybe a story from the Gospel of John. Maybe a story from the chapter that we are currently in, from the Gospel of John, when Jesus is confronted and this woman caught in the act of adultery is brought to him and they say, our law says this woman must be stoned to death. And what does he say? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's this little twist on the, the, on the Jewish law. The person to cast the first stone was supposed to be the witness to the event. He says, no, let it, let it, let's, this time let's have the first, the first stone be thrown by the one of you who doesn't have any sin. So in that story, Jesus was doing his Jesus thing, turning things upside down for people. And he's doing the same thing right here. He's very clever if you think about it. He's taking their accusation and turning it upside down on them. Because what do they actually say to him? They say, you can't say this about yourself. You're testifying on your own behalf. That's not valid. And he's reminding them that in Torah, in Jewish law, the burden of proof is actually on the accuser, not the accused. And he's drawing them out because they're not very open about the fact that they want to kill him, but they do. He's saying, I know you want to kill me. Clearly, you want to kill me. Why don't you just say it? By the way, what, does it, what, is, it, gee, what is it, guys, that Torah says about witnesses? <laughs> and so he flips their accusation on its head. And uh, the text also says his time hadn't come. And so he's, he escapes unscathed in this circumstance. But what I really want to highlight... <clears throat> that he says during this exchange with these religious experts is the statement that follows. Forgetting all this stuff about Torah, what Torah says about testimony. Even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And I think that verse is a great place to stop today because it's a great place to start for our season of Lent. We're going to be spending a lot of time in John's Gospel for the next six weeks, and we're going to be hearing a lot of what is essentially Jesus' testimony about himself. And he wants to tell us, if you'll pardon my slight angular extension here of this story. He wants to tell us that his testimony about himself is valid. So if during this Lenten season, regardless of whether you are a long-time Christian or uh, an explorer of the faith, if you want to know about God, you need to know about Jesus. Because uh, Jesus is what God has to say to quote my favorite internet pastor at the moment, Brian Zond. Jesus is what God has to say. That's what the prologue to John's gospel means. We read it at the call to worship. And Jesus himself said it. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. So, if you are seeking God this Lenten season, you need to look to Jesus. Jesus. 
He is the true Word of God, capital W. And if you want to be shaped by the true Word of God, capital W, you need to be shaped by the words, lowercase w, of Scripture. That's our thread for the whole year. That's where I want to point us during Lent. That's why I'm asking you to scribe the text. We want to be shaped by the words so that we can encounter the Word. We want to be shaped by Scripture so we can come to know Jesus because Jesus is what God has to say this season and always. Let's pray together. God, I am struck, as I often am, by these uh, words of Jesus, by his indefatigable ability to take religious expertise and turn it on its head. I pray that we would all uh, be given grace and wisdom and courage to allow Jesus to turn our own supposed understandings on their heads. I pray that we would be shaped by your scriptures, that we would hear the words contained therein and know them to be yours. Most of all, we pray that we would know your son Jesus through the Bible, through our encounters with each other in community, through the sacrament of communion, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Shape us in the words, by the word, we pray. Amen. Jesus offers himself to us. And uh, at Artisan, we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together every Sunday. Uh, If you think about our liturgy and our worship as a a dramatic retelling of the gospel, which is what it should be each week. The climax of that narrative is not the, not the, the blabbering that I do. <laughs> it's at this table. It is the sacrament of communion. It is Christ's body and blood offered for us for the forgiveness of sins. And so I invite you now, all who are seeking to follow Jesus, to participate in this holy and ancient ritual together. Uh, You can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. We have wine and juice at both stations. Please choose whichever would be more appropriate for you and your family. Please do it as an act of remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. Please do it as an act of community with each other and with all other Christians, the ones that we like to get along with and the ones that are hard to get along with, the ones who are alive now and the ones who've been dead for centuries. And please do it because you need food for your soul. And this is what it is. If you are not following Jesus this morning, if that does not describe you, um, welcome, first of all. We don't want you to feel isolated in this moment. But if this would not be an appropriate act act for you right now, you are free to stay seated and to think and to pray, um, to meditate, to wonder and nobody will look sideways at you. But for all who seek to follow him, whether you think you are an all-star Christian or the worst one ever, (laughs) hint, 
the latter category is closer to the truth. (laughs) Whether you think you belong in a church or not, Jesus says that you do, and this table is his invitation to you into the life that he offers. Let's continue to worship him together. Our table will be open for the rest of our service this morning. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.